The South has a complex relationship with meat. Historically, a lot of people here were too poor to afford a big hunk of it. So meat was used in small amounts to season vegetables, reserved for a special occasion. But that little bit of salt pork in your greens in Mississippi, or that special occasion steak in Texas, it's become folded into the identity of many Southerners, which can make it difficult when one of them decides to opt out. Why can't zucchini be soul food? Because it can. I made some really good zucchini. I can make some really bomb-ass kale, and I can make some vegetarian gravy. You're listening to Gravy. 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 Stories of the changing American South through the foods we eat. We are a production of the Southern Foodways Alliance. I'm Tina Antolini. Today, the identity that's wrapped up in eating meat or not eating it. And how for one young man and his family, the question of eating meat or not has led to a whole bunch of other questions about ethnic and racial identity, belonging, sexuality, and a whole lot more. Radio producer Renee Gross brings us the story. At home in his apartment in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Choya Webb shifts easily from the serious to the silly and from the political to the goofy and back again. But he dislikes people thinking of him as just another liberal college student going to school in Ann Arbor. And although he doesn't eat meat, he even dislikes the term vegetarian. He says the label comes with too many assumptions. Well, you probably do yoga, and I do do yoga, and you probably drink coffee at the, at the local coffee shop across from your house, and I don't do that, actually. Choya is biracial, black and Latino. Part of his family lives in Texas, and the other part lives in Michigan. I met Choya through his boyfriend, Nick. We would hang out in big groups a lot. But it wasn't until we both happened to be on the same long-distance bus trip that we just talked, just the two of us. He told me about his recent decision to stop eating meat. He says he's flirted with the idea for a long time. I was the typical MySpace kid in seventh grade who found out about vegetarianism and was super thrilled by it and was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. But cutting out meat was harder than he thought especially with his single mom and his grandparents. I'm not eating meat, but at the same time, McDonald's is right there. We're on our way home. Mom just got out of work at 7. You know, that's what's convenient. Eventually, Choya decided that giving up meat entirely was near impossible. He became an on-again, off-again vegetarian. Then he went off to college and studied abroad in the Dominican Republic. That's when things changed. Meat was all he ate. My host mother served me ham every day, at least twice a day. At first, the food was not a big deal. He was in a new country trying to be a good guest. Then he lost the taste for ham and for meat altogether. But he was worried about going to Houston, Texas for Thanksgiving. Texas is the home of longhorn steers and beef brisket. It's the home of barbecue and big cuts of meat. It's also the home of Choya's dad. They hadn't been in touch for years. My dad is a pastor, and already we have some interesting sort of dynamics because of my sexuality. Choya never told his dad that he's gay, but back in high school, his cousin found out from other kids. My cousin, who was staunchly Christian at the time, um, was with fear for my life, was her direct words, and so she had to tell all of my family members because they were worried about, you know, my salvation. So his dad knew that his son was interested in men. 
but there wasn't any discussion about it. And I was kind of told to sit alone in the sense of, we don't have to talk about it, it's a phase, but we know. It was assumed that Troy would grow out of it. Fast forward years later to this past Thanksgiving, he hadn't grown out of it. And there was something else he needed to tell his dad. I texted my dad before I got there to Texas, telling him I was um, vegetarian. His dad responded right away. Immediately he was saying, you're not going to be able to eat anything, so um, you're going to have to find somewhere else to eat. It was a joke, but the message came across clearly. He was just trying to say that he wasn't really interested in editing the meal at all because of me, the only person who isn't eating meat right now, in the family probably. Choya says he felt excluded from the rest of his family. It's a different kind of other. That's another that they are familiar with, but not someone who they, I guess, would assume would be at our Thanksgiving. Not, there wouldn't be a person not eating meat. It's Thanksgiving. Much like there wouldn't be a gay person in our church because it's a church. When Choya arrived at his dad's house in Houston for Thanksgiving, there were 10 to 12 dishes on the table, and only two of them were meatless. Even rice, they added bacon to it, which, I mean, I thought was hilarious. There are reasons that his family didn't want to acknowledge his diet, says Choya. He assumes his family's thought process went something like this. Choya is hanging out with a bunch of white friends that he has who are also vegetarian who just go to Whole Foods and Trader Joe's all the time and go to, you know, restaurants and spend money on, you know, organic, like, I don't even know how else to word it, but organic food or, you know, high quality food as opposed to my family that that doesn't seem in reach to them or something that they would be interested in doing. To Troya, it felt like not eating meat fit with his family's image of him as different. This seemingly queer black person who happens to be skinny, of course size is completely involved in this, this skinny black gay person who isn't eating meat, of course, that makes sense. I got it now. Troya stood out in his family as the only one not eating meat. But there are plenty of other African Americans in the South and beyond who have made this choice. Vegetarianism and veganism is not a new thing for black people. It's not. They've been doing it for a very long time. You just don't see it in the mainstream. And that's because the mainstream is dictated by images and values of whiteness. That's Dr. Amy Breeze Harper. She is the author of the book Sister Vegan and the director of the Sister Vegan Project. She became a vegan in the early 2000s. At the time, she was struggling with her health. And that made her research the bigger historical picture of how diet is related to how blacks have been treated in this country. Colonialism and slavery have had such a horrible impact on our health and our eating ways. She echoes Troya in saying that veganism and vegetarianism isn't always in reach to people of color. So one has to understand that not everybody has access to you know, fresh produce or you know, whole grains the way that white middle class to upper class population does in this country. Of course, what you eat is also based on what your family eats. And if you eat something different, it's almost as if you're turning your back on your family. 
Harper says she's seen this happen. So this could be even some person who's an omnivore and they're eating their cultural foods and then they go away to the industrialized city and maybe they go to college and they start eating different food there but they're still omnivore. When they come back home, they may not want to eat the food they were raised on. They upset their, their parents and their family because their parents and family think that, oh, you, you, you think you're better than us because you're picking up these food waves from the city. With new food waves also comes new appearances. Your weight can change when you eat in a new way. This can make things more difficult. And for reasons that are culturally specific. You know, why is it a lot of us in the black community consider women not to be quote unquote healthy if they're not more curvy? And that when we lose a lot of weight, why are we considered unhealthy? But then we, we move to the white mainstream and we lose a lot of weight. Our friends and peers say we look healthy. And Harper says there's also a hope that men especially will grow up to be robust by eating meat. This means that men who choose to be vegetarian can face a lot of skepticism. A lot of them do experience, well, you know, I don't understand. That's not really a quote-unquote manly diet, and that's not going to make you strong because a real man is strong. You can only be strong by eating animals. I wondered if this was Troy's experience. I wanted to talk to his parents and see how they felt. What was it like for them when Troya told him he was not eating meat? Did they see it being related to his masculinity? So I gave Troya a call. Hey. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Basically, I told Troya about wanting to interview his family. Uh, let me think about it for a second. Yeah, so for sure. It's interesting because, um, as you know, I'm really estranged from my dad. Choya hadn't really been in touch with his dad since Thanksgiving. It was April now. We also talked for a bit about how the interview might go. It was food I wanted to talk to his dad about. I told Choya. It's very obvious that clear that you don't plan on like really referencing my sexuality in any way, which is good because I'm not out to him yet. I actually just wrote him a letter that I haven't sent. <laughs> And, and yeah. I actually feel quite urgent about this issue because I have they come they're coming for graduation. They're about to meet Nick. <laughs> Remember that Nick is Troya's boyfriend. He was planning a gathering with Nick and his whole family when they came into town for graduation. I perked up when I heard that. I asked Troya if I could interview his dad on graduation day. Uh, like I don't think that would be a problem, um, especially by that point. Because by that point, ideally on May third, he'll know he'll be okay with it. He'll meet Nick. Everything will be fine. Coming up. Meeting and eating with Choya's family on graduation day. And how his parents frame his vegetarianism. That's ahead. There is the donor music. And New York City can seem like a long way from the South. But no region of this country exists in a vacuum. And in New York, there are pockets of southernness. Places like blue smoke. The chef there, Jean-Paul Bourgeois, says the land he grew up on in rural Louisiana helped teach him about cooking. The land is the recipe. I mean, you don't have um, you don't have mushrooms in your duck fricassee without them growing on the trees. I mean, I can remember duck hunting with my dad when I was 9 and 10 years old, and we'd be 9.30 in the morning, we'd have our limited ducks, and we'd be riding down the canal and spotting these clusters of wild oyster mushrooms on the side of these trees. And you clean those ducks, and you... You bring them in the house, and they never hit refrigeration. They go straight into what my dad called a fricassee. Jean-Paul is bringing the lessons he learned in Louisiana 
to his cooking at Blue Smoke in New York City. You can learn more at bluesmoke.com. Now, back to Renee Gross. I knew I was going to wait to talk to Troya's dad till graduation, but his mom said she would be willing to talk to me anytime. I am Benita Comis. Benita is half black and half Mexican. She raised Troya among her Mexican family. She says in her family, everyone relates to each other with food. Food in our household was definitely its own language, dialect even, I mean, if you want. I mean, you know, again, because if somebody wanted to tell you they loved you but could not put it into words, guess what? They stuffed your face. (laughs) People didn't just use food to say, I love you. They used it for every emotion, including anger. Benita knows this from firsthand experience. I mean, it became a push-pull in a, in a rebellious stage for me, especially in my teen years. Like, no, I don't want to eat that just because I don't feel like it. And then the person get mad, but that was the goal. So if you're angry at somebody else, you turn down their cooking. Benita was clear that people only refused food to express their emotions, not because they were on a specific diet. Nobody made different dishes. It was either you eat what I make you or you don't eat at all. So when Troya said he wasn't going to eat meat, it was a big ordeal. Such and such is probably going to get upset that he's not eating, and then they're going to comment on the fact that he's skinny, skinnier than cousin such and such, and then we're going to a whole big spiel. I mean, you could talk for hours with some of these people. The situation would get so uncomfortable that Benita would sometimes warn Troya not to come to family events. So sometimes you might have to hide Choi out, you know. <laughs> you might have to say, you know, such and such is coming over today and they're going to bring over a, you know, a tray of beef nachos. You might want to make yourself scarce or maybe even go visit a friend. <laughs> Benita says most men in their family will go out of their way to eat meat, even when it's not supposed to be in the meal. Now don't get me wrong, like the cheese and onion enchilada, right? It's meant to be just cheese and onion. However, you might find Uncle Ralph throwing on cubed beef on top of this cheese and onion enchilada dish. Why? Because I eat meat, you know. I gotta have something, I gotta have some cubed beef. Meat in that household, it oozes machismo. If eating meat means masculinity, then not eating meat means the opposite. Benita doesn't think the connection between being vegetarian and dating men would be lost on anyone in her family. It all makes sense. You know, if if they were to really think about it and think about when Choya stopped eating meat or when he started to alter things, they would definitely say, see, we would have known then. Benita used to worry about her relatives' reactions. She was scared when Choya came out as gay. It was what everybody else thought, and not even just so much so being in the ethnic household, but the single-parent household. Benita was afraid that people would see Choya's sexuality as a reflection on her. If only she had a husband. If only Choi had a bigger male influence growing up, then maybe he wouldn't be gay. But once she realized that her worries all had to do with other people, things changed. You know, I sat myself down, and once I made peace, I was fine with it. I'm very supportive. You know, Choi was happy. I liked who he was. Benita's not afraid anymore to tell her family that Choi is gay. But she says for some relatives, she may start by telling them he's vegetarian and joking with some of my uncles or something like that, I might say we should have known something was, you know, abound because he would he stop eating meat at 14, you know, just because, again, it's easier. Um, you can joke about the no meat, but, you know, when you, when you speak about sexuality, there, you can only joke so far. 
Sexuality was still a tense issue. At least I knew it was with Choya and his father. Graduation was a couple days away. I still hadn't heard from Choya about what was going on yet. Hey, Choya. Hi, how are you? Choya gave me an update. Things with his dad were still unclear. I came out to him and he didn't really respond. <laughs> so I really don't know like how he's, like yeah. where he's at. It's okay. I just yeah. don't know where he's at mentally. I didn't want to push for a private interview with Choya's father. So I asked if there was another part of graduation that I could come and record. Um, so we're going to dinner, actually, after graduation. That'll be an ipsy, so it won't be nearly as crazy. Um, I would not mind if you came at all. It actually would be the most neutral situation, I think. Later, Choya texted me the details. I got ready to meet all of his family at their celebratory dinner. Can I get just the flautas special, please? Flautas? Chicken or bean? Bean, please. I arrived at La Fiesta Mexicana around 1 p.m. to celebrate Choya's graduation. I realized very quickly there were two sides of the table. Benita explained it for me. We're separated but not segregated. There you go. On one end of the table was Troya's mother's side of the family. I'm his aunt, Alex. I'm Grandma Pam. I'm boyfriend Nick. (laughs) And on the other end was Troya's dad's side. I'm Troya's grandmother, his dad's mom. I'm Fred Irving. I'm his cousin. Finally, I got to Troya's dad. I'm Troya Webb Sr. I'm his dad, and yes, I eat meat. They all do. When I asked why, his cousin jumped in. I mean, because we're, we're, we're healthy, and that's why. Something that, it's an enjoyment. Not eating rabbit food, but it's not, not taking nothing against it. But I enjoy a healthy meal to fill you up. As for Troya Sr., being a vegetarian never crossed his mind. It didn't fit with his image of himself. I just, when you say vegetarian, I think of somebody that's skinny, somebody that's a little eccentric, somebody that just um, abhors the very thought of their teeth tearing apart flesh or eating anything that once had a mother. To be fair, he says he doesn't meet a lot of vegetarians where he lives. If you drive down some of the major streets in Houston, Texas, there's meat grazing on the side of the street. I promise you, like on the side of the mall, it'll be a field of cattle grazing. Brisket, steak, you name it, they love meat in Texas. Troya Sr. says his love for eating meat can be traced back to his mom, Lucille, who just happened to be sitting right beside him. I guess I'm the guilty party with the meat for every meal, and sometimes two meats. Lucille seemed to pinpoint what everyone else was hinting at, Choya's reasons to stop eating meat came from outside of the family. Well, I felt that it was because of the environment he was in. The school that he attended, those, the kids in that school, a lot of them were eccentric. They were different. They, you know, these are the people he was around all the time. It didn't bother me. I didn't think it was going to (laughs) last. But it's been years now. Why didn't you think it would last? Because we cook meat all the time. And here's where it gets interesting. Lucille starts talking about that one Thanksgiving. She mentions how much meat they had. Like, we were at his dad's for Thanksgiving, and uh, we had everything, didn't we? (laughs) Everything. I didn't know he didn't eat any meat that day. 
We had everything. But then Lucille starts talking about her admiration for Choi's willpower. That's the moment she gets emotional. He's really uh, disciplined himself. So I'm proud of him. I'm really proud of him. I knew Lucille wasn't just talking about Choi's ability to forego meat at Thanksgiving. She was talking about her pride for him graduating. And maybe that was the point. It was Choi's willpower that allowed him to be a vegetarian. The exact same willpower that made him succeed as a student. And his dad saw it the same way. And I um, commend his discipline to abstain from eating meat. Choya showed that his decision to go meatless wasn't a fluke. Similarly, being gay was not a phase. He feels like he finally convinced his family of that. I think they were ready to believe me, or they were ready to really take what I had to say seriously and how I identify and how I kind of perceive myself. His family always assumed that he wasn't ready to make those types of decisions about himself. They didn't think that Choya could be sure he was gay. I think the whole narrative for them was, oh, he's just confused. And I think a lot of other people growing up in that kind of context hear that throughout their whole life. Like, well, they're confused and they'll eventually get there. But I knew that now it, it wouldn't seem like confusion. It would seem like, oh, he knows. He's, he has he's has known, you know? He's an accomplished person. So he knows what he wants and who he is. It seemed to Choya that his dad accepted his sexuality. But that doesn't mean his dad ever brought it up during the time he was in town. I feel like his way of talking about it was being nice, being loving, being himself. And that was enough. Choya was especially touched by the way his dad introduced himself to Nick. It happened right after the graduation ceremony. It was the first time Choya and his dad had seen each other since Thanksgiving. And, um, you know, I hugged him, and I hugged my stepmom and my little sister, and then after hugging all of them, he went right over to Nick and said, you must be Nick, and shook his hand, and it was, like, the most relieving feel- feeling ever, and even my mom, like, raised her eyebrows and was like, oh, wasn't expecting that at all. After graduation, his dad invited Choya and Nick out to ice cream. Choya said it's actions like these that let him know everything was all right talking about his sexuality and all that had happened between father and son may have been too hard during graduation. But it reminds me of what Benita said earlier. Sometimes, when you don't have the words to tell someone you love them, you do the next best thing. You stuff their face. Renee Gross is a radio producer based in Michigan. Music for this episode was by Ryan Little, Diagram Collective, Tyson Rogers, Corey Gray, and Blue Dot Sessions. Gravy's intern is Dana Bialik. Thanks to Sarah Camp Milam for the editorial assistance. Coming right up, a taste of the next episode of Gravy, but first. The Southern Foodways Alliance is dedicated to telling the stories behind the food. They believe that these stories, which may originate with the plate, reveal larger truths about family and place, about faith and culture, about race and class and gender, and perhaps most importantly, about the opportunity for reconciliation. The SFA invites you to the table to help us tell these stories. Become a member and your dues will fund films, oral histories, original writing, and yes, even this podcast. Join today with a visit to southernfoodways.org. Coming up on the next episode of Gravy, 
a West Virginia family taps into its history, literally. I remember specifically when they hit the salt water and there was this huge plume, it's like striking oil or something, and we put our cups under the water to taste it and it was salty. We were, I remember just feeling a sigh of relief. Okay, we, we got it. Salt making, far, far from any ocean. That's next time. You are listening to Gravy. I'm Tina Antolini for the Southern Foodways Alliance. And as you go about your daily life, please remember, make cornbread, not war.